The Adrian Autry era of Syracuse hoops starts off 3-0 after wins against the University of New Hampshire, Canisius, and last night over Colgate in a thriller 24-point comeback win. We're going to talk about what's going right for the Syracuse Orange, what's going wrong. It's officially basketball season here in Central New York. This is 44 and more. Welcome to 44 and More. My name is TJ O'Sullivan alongside DJ Moore. DJ, been a minute since we've actually sat down and done one of these, but, you know, while the football team, they, you know, they just just broke the losing streak. They've had their struggles. We are now in basketball season, paying a little closer attention to it. 3-0 are the Syracuse Orange three games into the Adrian Autry era. So figured we'd go over some numbers, right? Like, what, what have you noticed? Just first overall, first impression, what have you noticed about this team, good or bad? Uh, just give me something here. Well, football has made me sad. So I'm very happy to talk about basketball once again. Um, it's been... <sighs> Can I say highs and lows already? Like, it's three games. I think it's three fair. and oh. I think it's fair. But it's highs and lows. I think coming into this season, the big takeaway people have seen is this team has a very low floor. But I think they have a very high ceiling as well. And I this Colgate game specifically, they decided to show both of those. Like, literal uh, a tale of two halves. Um, you got to see the lowest of floors down 24 to Colgate. Now Colgate's, in, it brings up an interesting discussion because you hear the t- the name Colgate and you think, okay, it's, it's some scrub team. Nobody's going to care about Not them. Extremely well coached. Team. They're a very well coached team. They're in the tournament year in and year out. So there's a lot of fans that are saying just the sheer fact that it was a game against Colgate is bad. No Colgate's beat Syracuse two years in a row. Um, I think the Colgate Syracuse rivalry has transformed into everything people wanted the Buffalo Syracuse rivalry to be. Okay. Well, before, before we get too far down this rabbit hole, like I can (laughs) tell that you obviously want to talk about the Colgate Syracuse game. Let's let's take half a step back. Let's talk about, you know, just if you're just tuning in to Syracuse basketball, let's talk about how the off season went in these first three games. Okay. Um, in the transfer portal, Syracuse picks up some key transfers, namely J.J. Starling from Notre Dame. They ended up picking Kyle Cuff Jr. up from Kansas, Chance Westry from Auburn. Westry has since gone down with an indefinite injury. Uh, we don't know if it's season-ending yet. We don't know, uh, but very stacked backcourt. Uh, Naheem McLeod, seven foot four, tallest player in Syracuse basketball history, coming over from Florida State, staying in conference for that transfer. Uh, and, and there's a couple more guys here and there, but the point is, stack transfer class, 
already a stacked sophomore class. That freshman class last year for Syracuse, pretty much all sticking together. Every, every single yeah. one of them came The back. only real name that left Syracuse last year was Jesse Edwards, goes over to West Virginia. But this is a core of Syracuse players that have stuck together. Joe Gerard erasure right there as well. <laughs> I, you know, that's fair. I, I apologize for that. Joe Gerard stays in conference, goes to Clemson. Um, so now we look at this year's team. We got a chance to look at them against Damon and College of St. Rose uh, in the preseason. Looked okay. Some highs and lows, which we'll get into in a minute. But, for, but through these first three games that actually count towards the record, an 83-72 win over Damon, an 89-77 win over Canisius, and a 79-75 win over Colgate, which DJ can't wait to talk about. So excited. Um, so let's just go through some team stats as a team Syracuse dropping 83.7 points per game only 19.3 points coming off the bench why is that because you've got basically an eight-man rotation through the first two games Benny Williams violation of team rules he was out for the first two games showed up last night for 10 minutes against Colgate but for the most part Syracuse has been rocking an eight-man rotation uh, so 19 points, when you put it into that context, pretty good, okay? Um, scoring margin per game, Syracuse averages plus nine, which that's the bit of the, the, the troubling thing for me. You know, through those first two games against Damon, or, or excuse me, not Damon, through uh, uh, UNH and Canisius, both of those games saw Syracuse up at least 20 points at one point during the game. They beat UNH by 11. They beat Canisius by 12. Still double digits. However, the deficit got to a point where it was a couple possession game. And I think that that's my main takeaway through this is, like you said, very low floor, very high ceiling. And there's just really no telling which way we go until we get to the the Maui Invitational. Yeah, um, you know, I listen to a lot of you know, other local podcasters, local media members. Love Brent Axe, are always showing love to other you know Syracuse media members in the area. Um, Brent, in his final podcast uh, regarding Syracuse basketball, talked a lot about how uh, Coach Adrian Autry plays these four minute games at practice. And it, I said tale of two halves. It's tale of four-minute games where, you know, even going back to that UNH game, right? It's the first game of the Red Autry era. Everybody's excited. They they come out of the gate super, super hot, right? I, I think they were up 14, 15 points within that first half, probably within the first 10 minutes, and then it just drops off. So you see these spurts of just amazing, high-energy, high-effort-level basketball where this team is, whoa, type of good. And then you have the next four minutes where, you know, it's it's very lethargic. There's no energy out on the court. The defense looks bad. The offense, in turn, looks terrible. Um, so you're, you're really seeing, even within a game, within a half, just these these polar opposite ends of the spectrum for how this team will look. And, and to that point, you know, before you get to the next point, um, last night during the post-game press conference, Autry actually said, like, you know, we, we don't just practice four minutes at a time, we play four minutes at a time. He he just plays for four minutes, then looks up at the scoreboard, sees where they're at. Like, that's the mm -hmm. mentality in the Syracuse locker room right now. And you do see it. 
you see them go on a run, you see them drop off, and last night against Colgate in particular, once they started with that full court press in the final 10 minutes of the game, it was a completely different story. 24-point comeback in the second half, largest in ACC history from what I read. Uh, it, It didn't look like that team in the final 10 minutes. Didn't look like them at all. Yeah, um defensive defensive effort level was one of the things that I wanted to talk about today and I that was I was going to save it towards the end but we I can think just go. let's get it out of the way yeah. now the defensive effort level in the first half of that game versus Colgate was terrible that I'm not saying them on defense was terrible I I guess I am in turn a little bit <laughs> that was the a result of bit, the first uh, half you know but it's it's about effort the switch to man-to-man was something a lot of people were excited about. We are finally going to see 21st century basketball in Syracuse, New York for the first time in a long time. In order to play good man-to-man defense, there has to be an aggressive effort level. You have to just really grit down, bear down, look at this dude across from you and say, you're not getting past me. I'm going to grab your jersey. I'm going to poke you in the stomach. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to talk a little smack, everything I can to get in your head and make sure you know you're not going to go get a bucket. That is not something we've seen consistently through these first three games. The switch to the full court press, though, unlocked something. I don't know what Red said in the locker room at halftime because they even came out of halftime and they didn't look great. The When the crowd was booing, the Syracuse University men's basketball team, it was in the second half. It was There was like 17 minutes left in the second half. Red calls a timeout. Colgate comes, jumps out of the gate in the second half on a run. Bam, crowd starts booing. And then something clicked. With the switch to the full court press, the energy and effort level was there. And it was spontaneous. It, it caught on. Not spontaneous. It was contagious. It caught on. You know, one guy makes a play. Bam, we get an easy bucket at the other end. Next guy makes a play. Next guy makes a play. And that switch just opened up everything for this team. I, I really think it's the effort level and energy on the defensive side of the ball that's going to determine everything for this team. So I won't comment on the effort level. What I will comment on is I think that there's a lot of mental errors happening on the defensive side of the ball. Justin Taylor, usually a very good defender, like usually like capable defender. You know, DJ just gave me a face. You know, that was definitely a little, you know, but I capable defender gets the job done. Last night, there was a sequence. We watched the second half together. There was a sequence where I watched Justin Taylor get to his man and not establish a defensive uh, position on him. He was he he stayed on the outside towards the three point line, and lo and behold, what do you know? Justin Taylor looks away for a second, mm-hmm. and his guys under the basket for an easy two. Backdoor cuts, and yeah, it's on him. yeah, it and and it's tough. It it's tough to sit there and defend that. And there's been little things like that throughout the year that I've noticed. You know, you made comment yesterday about Judah Mintz trying to you know letting a guy blow by him, try to get a behind the back steal, which like. That's just not the play you go for mm-hmm. at any given time. That's a that's a last resort play. That's a play where you're you get beat fair and square, and then you have the wherewithal to reach around. That's when you go for that. Not you don't base your entire. It, it's not like a chase down block, 
right? Like, it's not like LeBron sizing up and waiting for you to go up and smacking it off the backboard. Like, that is a detrimental uh, strategy on defense. <laughs> and it's also where... Oh, now you're going to make me talk about the Judah Mintz stuff. Right. It's where he does it as well. Because if there's defensive, you know, movements and stuff where if you're you're trying to bait a guy into dribbling to a certain part of the court, you know, funneling a guard, especially the the guy on Colgate who is six feet tall, funneling a guard into seven foot four Naheem McLeod is usually going to be a good defensive strategy. Judas trying to pick a guy up at mid court for no reason there's there's 30 feet of space between him and the next defender and then he's trying to do that backdoor swipe dude like well, and it, i'll and i'll i'll cut you off for just a, times, for just you know? a second and and yeah i'm going to i'm going to hammer down on what you just said uh pick your times like yes there there's a reason that you pick somebody up full court or three quarter court like it's to hype your team up it's you know get the mentality of like if we're going to play we're going to play hard nosed defense but it's like if you're going to pick them up and then just backpedal, that's not exactly the same thing. And if you're the only person up there and everyone else has retreated to normal basketball, like normal basketball half-court situation, probably not the best idea to be picking them up up there because you get beat and now everyone else is just out of sorts. It's tough. It, it, it's tough to get behind. Um, I think that Judah Mintz is playing his ass off right now. He he's he's averaging 23 points through 3 games. Uh he has had some signature moments already. The amount of and ones that this guy converts on is insane. Um I will say that I think and it's not just Judah. It's not just Judah Mintz, but I think that there is some hero ball being played this year. There are some times when I would like for there to be an extra pass made. Or, or you know, you just, you wish you see that rather than trying to do it all yourself. Judah came up with a steal uh, in the late minutes of the second half. And granted, this layup went in. And I talked about this with you yesterday. He's attacking one guy in transition. You have Chris Bell, who finished with 26 points. I think 26, 25 points. Yeah, 25 points. or 26. Career best. Yeah. He's wide open in the corner. There's help defense coming across the key to help against Judah. And he decides to wind his way through two people. He's an elite finisher. Why don't you go to the corner for the easier play? Quadir Copeland. I Confidence is not an issue for this kid. <laughs> Confidence is not an issue for Quadir Copeland. I think it's one of the most, uh, one of the greatest things about his game. He has such a good feel for the game. He's not afraid to take it to the rim through contact. Should he take it to the rim through contact all of the times that he has this season? No, I don't think so. And I think that, you know, he makes things a little bit too hard rather than just making the easy pass we you try to go behind his head in the preseason and it's the preseason but make make good habits just dump off a pass let's not try and make it all flashy let's not try and like you know i hate to sound like an old head like fundamental basketball but it's true it's just work on moving the ball around 
Because when they have open shots on the wing for Taylor or Bell, they go in. They go in. As, as a duo, Bell and Taylor, 13 for 39 on the season, 33% from the field. The rest of the team shooting under 25%. So just get them the ball in in open court or in any open situation. Transition, half court, doesn't matter. Just, like, get them the ball. I think we knew coming into this year or suspected shooting was going to be an issue. We that is tenfold <laughs> through the first three games. That is put three exclamation points on that. Shooting is an issue. Shooting is something to keep an eye out for. Um, knowing that shooting is going to be an issue, making sure, like you said, take the extra pass, creating a good offense in order that is designed to get people open and designed to get open shots has to be something that becomes instituted. Um, like you said, there's there's been specific moments of hero ball. It's not just Judah. Some of it definitely is. Um, and it's hard. It's 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 such a tricky line to follow. Because uh, specifically talking Judah, you have a guy that just went through the NBA draft process. We're not, we, we don't know what was told to him behind closed doors. I'm sure that if he wouldn't have gotten drafted in the second round, he probably could have signed a free agent deal and at least, at, least at bare minimum, have been in the G League right now. Yeah. He could, if he wanted to, he could have Absolutely. been getting paid this year. I mean, he's getting paid no matter what with NIL. <laughs> but he could have been getting paid a decent chunk of change to play professional basketball this year. He opted to come back. He knows he's the best player on the team. He knows he's one of the best players in the ACC. Yeah, and it's, he thinks yeah. he's probably one of the best players in the country. And it's not, and and it's not even a diss to Judah. Like it's he is just a talented player. Yeah. He's a front, he is one of the early, best players in the he's country. He's an early front runner yes. for conference player of the year with the three performances yes. he's had. Absolutely, but he he makes things too difficult on himself sometimes. Um. You know, one difference between him and JJ that I've seen, and we did chat about it a little bit yesterday. Um, Judah is a is an excellent, not even a good, and not even a great, an excellent finisher at the rim. I would love to see him develop a little bit more wherewithal to develop just a little bit more of like a bunny type shot when he gets into the lane. Just just a little bit more in his finishing package other than these crazy layups. Because when he is going up against seven footers in the ACC, he's getting double teamed. Teams are clogging the lane. I, that's one thing JJ does that I love is JJ can go on a full sprint to a full stop and hit a bunny in the lane. He's very instead shifty. of having to get through in in a finishing. He move. changes speeds so well. Judah has a great mid range game, but I feel like a lot of his mid ranges are sizing a dude up, kind of step back, side step, trying to hit it with a hand in his face. I'd love to see just a little bit more versatility, a little bit more creativity for him to be able to get that finishing shot. Yeah, because because um, like you know I. I consider Judah, you know, he's got a, a capable jump shot. It's not what he's known for. He is known to be a slasher. Yeah. And that's where he is at his best, is around so the rim. Good. He's he's, so he's good. very good. He's he's an elite finisher. Yeah. But you're right. Like, develop that touch within 10, 15 yeah. feet of the basket. And then when you're open, he's, he's hit a couple threes yeah. this year. They've been open threes. None of his step backs have gone in. Yeah. 
And that's that's going to be a big thing is, is, again, that wherewithal to understand when he has to say, this is my moment, I'm putting the ball in the hoop, um, yeah. and when to just let the ball move. I, I really would like to see, obviously, we know Syracuse basketball is going to run that free-flow offense. A lot of players love to come here because they understand they're going to kind of get to do what they want. I want more structure. I want more design plays. Um, I've seen one big change that I've seen so far is Red loves to run the horn set where you're, t- you're taking either a big, you know, your five and your four, maybe it's just a couple wings. They're putting them on either of those top corners of the free throw line of the paint. Um, so the, the guard that's bringing the ball up to court kind of gets his choice of which side do I want to start this motion on? Do I want to take this pick right now? And, and I want to see more movement from that. I want more set and design plays. There's just so many times where you see Judah or JJ bring the ball up the floor, pass the ball to each other three times, and then chuck up a really ugly contested jumper and i just want more i want more movement i want more easy designed open looks at the bucket and it's and it's you know even with the free flow something i'd like to see a little bit more of half court sets it it is it's one thing to play in transition you cannot force transition Mm -hmm. you and and you certainly can't do it if you just missed the last three forced transition attempts they look very comfortable in the half court when people are moving off ball. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to do in a free flow offense is you need to move off ball. When they do that, Syracuse is a dangerous team. They don't do that all the time. And that's the problem. It, yeah. you know, watching Chris Bell with an open look is one of the prettiest things you'll see. Or Justin Taylor. Or Justin Taylor. Yeah. Watching them force passes around the perimeter and then it ends up in Taylor Bell's hands and they watch them the next time you watch Syracuse game. Just watch. See, I, this is the third catch. time I've heard TJ talk about this. I love it. It is. Let, yeah. let me see. It, it, do okay. the motion again. So catch, pump fake, or not catch, pump fake, jab, shot. No dribble, no nothing. It's like just shoot the ball. Just yeah. catch and shoot the ball because you'll have just as much space. Or if you're not sure if you'll have enough space, keep the ball moving. C- catch the ball, look longingly into the defender's eyes as they close down on you. Have a moment, yeah, and then try to shoot the ball. If in you their can face tell me what offense. color the defender's eyes are, you've held the <laughs> ball for too long and you shouldn't shoot. That's my take on that. Because <laughs> you know, you know, Chris Bell and JT have a green light. So they have a green light and, and shoot, and, bro. And for good reason. Put it up They're right great. away. They are great shooters. Yes. Not when they allow the defender to come and stand in their face. Yep. That's that's one problem. And another thing that I'll say, because we have definitely spent the last like five, ten minutes like bashing, but it's it's a very young team. Yes. And it's going to come with experience. Benny, junior Benny Williams is the oldest player on the team, I believe. Might, it is, might need a fact check. It is such a young team they need they the sophomore class has played a lot of basketball together but it's only been one season yeah and they're in their 19 right like that's the thing it's 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 hard now even being 
freshly out of college being 23 and understanding like the maturity and development I have being 23 years old. Like when I was 19, I was a buffoon. I could not imagine playing sports on a national televised game. What an game. adjective. Literally. <laughs> like I, you know what I mean? I, I could barely tie my shoes in the morning. I couldn't imagine being a sophomore in college and, and like Judah Mintz and JJ Starling yeah. being expected to run a high capacity offense on a televised game. Yeah, a lot of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt because yeah. neither one of us have played a minute of Division One basketball, college basketball. I was pretty good in intramurals. You pretty yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that so? I was I was already I played, I played, intramurals. I played four games of intramural basketball. <laughs> I was I was I'm not gonna say I was great, but um, my stats speak for themselves. It has <laughs> it, the the high ceiling of this team is still very, very attainable. It is very, very, very attainable. Well, before we, before we wrap up, there's one more thing we need to talk about. We need to talk about rebounding. Um, the low floor is also very available. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just open that right back up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is where DJ and I disagree a bit. I'm not ready to pull the plug on Naheem McLeod. I think that he does a lot of things that are very good, okay? And if if Naheem's listening, because I know Naheem follows me on Twitter, and I appreciate it. Shout out, Naheem. Shout out to Naheem McLeod. I, I, I have confidence in you. I love what you do well. This is the problem, though. Seven foot four, he has, he has been by far the best, uh, or the tallest, excuse me, player on the court in every single one of the games, every single one of the preseason games. The very first preseason game against Damon, his matchup was 6-5. Okay? That's it's it's tough. That was a tough day for that kid. Um, Naheem McLeod doesn't rebound as well as he should for being as tall as he is and as long as he is. We will DJ and I will disagree about the size of Naheem McLeod. However, he he boxes out high and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me as someone who, who has played basketball as a forward has watched high level basketball. Like I I'd like to see him box out low, extend possessions, which he does a good job. I think about half of his rebounds are offensive, but let's close out some possessions. Because that's the problem we have right now. It, it, J, J.J. Starling said to me in the locker room a couple games ago, like, listen, I wasn't a great rebounder at Notre Dame. I'm very cognizant. Use the word cognizant. I'm very cognizant of my attacking of the glass, and I want to be known as a good rebounder, and he is at 6'2". Why is a 6'2 guard out-rebounding the tallest player in Syracuse basketball history? Is a very good question to ask. Average wise, Naheem's got him because of a nine point a nine rebound game against Canisius. Yeah. Small but sample size so far. It's very small sample size, and it will not stay the same. But it's like JJ in his first appearance against Damon, he had I think seven rebounds, and last night had another six. I want to say. He's rebounding well, and I don't know if it's a game plan thing or it, like if Coach Red's telling him box out high to get an extra advantage, like going down to the other end. Naheem McLeod already changes ends very well. Let's stick him down on the block and, and let's get him some rebounds. 
He's already a great defensive presence. Let's let's get him let's get him finishing some possessions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the center position is I think is definitely going to be that. The, the center position was another. I'm going to say question mark coming into the season, right? We have Hema, who we haven't seen yet this season, out with an injury. Malik Brown has stepped into a, a legitimate small ball five role, which I don't think many people saw coming. Stepping in, stepping into this year, I don't think Malik Brown at the five was something most people thought would be what I'm assuming. Not, Some whispers, but yeah. Not knowing off the top of my head, but I'm assuming Malik's played more minutes at the five than Naheem so far. So that's that's been the lineup that Syracuse has rolled with majority through these three games. Um, Malik at the five has shown the ability of just constant effort and strength. What he doesn't have is the ability to be seven foot four. <laughs> Naheem McLeod's ability to block and disrupt shots in the lane is excellent. Um, my questions with Naheem is coming down to his ability to defend post up moves. Um, Maui is going to be interesting. I think Maui is really going to be the opportunity of Naheem getting thrown into the fire of saying, learn and learn quickly. Um, it's going to be interesting to see him go against seven footers. I'm very, very intrigued to see how he handles that defensive role. Cause obviously he's not doing much on the offensive end. Um, and that's another thing, and right? I, and when I will say JJ and, I, and Judah driving to the basket or, or you have Naheem coming out to set a pick. Why is that man not rolling to the basket with his hands up, constantly getting fed the ball lobs to a seven foot four guy should have been hundred percent on the table throughout these three games i don't think we've seen a single one of them toss the ball up high let the big guy go get it and put the ball into the hoop it's a very easy way to play the game and that's something i'd love to see more of what i will say is i i agree with you the the role game not great off ball naheem mcleod at seven foot four might be the sneakiest guy on the court from what i've seen it's just a matter of he does not get the ball often when he slips past a defender, ends up on the block completely uncovered. Some of the preseason games, there have been that that JJ to Naheem connection is going to be strong this year from what I saw in the preseason. Hasn't translated to the to the regular season yet. His off ball movement is good. And I will also say, McLeod is, I'm looking for the, I'm trying my best to stall so I can pull up the uh, individual stats. Um, For whatever reason, Syracuse is still on the 2022-2023 stats as the default stats. Get it together, Syracuse. I'm just saying, you know, it's this season. We're three games in. Uh, But now that I've stalled long enough, he is five for five from the field through the season. So like he's taking high percentage shots and I don't need him out there scoring a ton of points. He's doing his job on defense. He's got eight blocks on the season. Like to just see him rebound a little bit better. And I think that he becomes a clear cut good player, like like not even a good player. Like he becomes elite for what we need or for what Syracuse needs. Yeah. There, there are definitely, they're clear-cut things to be fixed. Because rebounding as a whole on the team... Oh, this podcast is going to be so long. I love it. I love it. We just keep going. We just passed the 30-minute mark. Brilliant. Um, rebounding as a team, right? It was an issue for the last 45 years. Let me look at my watch real quick. It's going to be an issue this year as well. Um, 
one fear that I had is for the first two games when Syracuse wasn't rebounding the ball well, the back of my head was like, oh, Benny Williams is out. Like, he's going to fix everything. Benny Williams has not been a good rebounder the last couple years at Syracuse. Um, maybe man-to-man fixes that, but but having relying on Benny Williams and the hope of Benny Williams to come in and fix your rebounding issues is not a necessarily great one. But the other thing to just, just before, before we continue, the the other thing to mention is Benny Williams only played 10 minutes last night. So we haven't seen the full effect of, of Benny Williams coming in and, and providing a, a boost on rebounding, but continue. Well, we've seen, I'm going back to the previous seasons of him wearing orange. Um, yeah. now yeah. Rebounding brings me straight back to energy and effort. Uh, Looking at the guy next to you, putting your shoulder into his chest and saying, I'm going to jump higher and be stronger than you and come down with this ball is is energy, effort. It's a mindset. Benny Williams is going to be one of the most athletic players on the court every single game. It doesn't matter if we're going up against Duke. I'm taking Benny Williams and his athleticism just from pure athlete level, over a lot of players that are going to be on the floor. I want 13 to have a dog mindset. I need Chris Bell, who I have been vocal in criticizing his defense and rebounding. Looked pretty good on defense yesterday. Um, JT, didn't, in my opinion, didn't have it on defense yesterday. These guys need a dog mindset to say, you're not going to get this ball. I'm taking it from you. And then we're going to operate when, with us on offense. And that just it has to be a transition for 40 minutes of basketball for the rest of the season. If they can do that as a team, starts individually, but if they can do that as a team, wow. Wow. And I'll say in the, in the full court press, the, the, uh, the dog mentality is there. Mm-hmm. It is. It's when, you know, what I will say about the full court press, got to get a guy further back. Yeah. That's, that's my only complaint. Um, there was a couple times where Colgate just burnt yeah. Syracuse. That's also over the top. Yeah. It was a cra- that, that one it was, inbound pass. It was a great, was yeah. Like that's not the moment I'm talking about. Like that's not what I'm basing this entire thing off of, but like you allowed that to happen. It was a better back shoulder pass than yeah. any Syracuse quarterback has thrown this season. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. Sorry. Good. Sorry. Um, so it, it was allowed to happen. Just get a guy a little further back. And I think that the press is perfect uh, for, for what it has been able to do so far this year. Malik Brown has 10 steals. Malik looked great in the full court press. He looked great all game. He did. Malik Brown might be my favorite. My, I said it last year. Last year he was one of my favorites. This year Malik Brown might be my, clear cut my favorite player on this team. He is. He is an all around great player and like he and he and Naheem McLeod had very similar stat lines played the exact number of minutes what Malik had in steals last night uh Naheem had in blocks um and like they complement each other very well for very different situations mm-hmm. I like Malik in there for the full court press obviously um I yeah I I think that he is that perfect first guy off the bench like not even first guy off the bench more like just like play 50 50 with Naheem in certain situations I like it I yeah. I really like the dynamic and it's all it, it 
brings up like a polar opposite basketball experience. Like you, you have the yeah. seven foot four center whose job is going to be to affect shots at the rim. Not necessarily the strongest guy in the world, but if you're a guard driving into the lane, you're gonna have an issue finishing over the top. And then you get Malik Brown, who's at what six and nine. Like he's basically just a really big four. But he's super, super strong. He's not going to get backed down by anybody. Maybe isn't affecting stuff at the rim in terms of rim protection quite the same. But his ability to move around the court and let Syracuse play that small ball lineup is just two opposite ends of the spectrum, which makes for a really interesting basketball viewing experience. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about it, to your point of um, maybe not the strongest guy, Naheem McLeod, I don't think that historically guys of that size or like, you know, your Yao Ming's, your, your seven foot two guys, like they have some trouble with wings because, and that's basically all Naheem has gone up against so far are, are forwards, some oversized forwards. It's it. Do I think that there needs to be some extra effort in boxing out? Yeah, I do. However, Let's see what he does against uh, Jonas Idu for Tennessee in the Jim Maui Invitational, and then I'll, based on that game, I'm gonna have a verdict on on whether or not the Nahima Cloud experiment is gonna work. Uh, give him a bigger guy to go up against, and and someone that plays a little bit more to his style, and and we'll see how it works. Um, that's that's where I will close the book on on Nahima Cloud. Me personally. Yeah. Fair, um, not fair. I there's just for me, there's just more left to be desired. I love the way he protects the rim. Um, but at least uh, the from what I've seen so far, his ability to defend in the post when getting back down just isn't fully there. And it's tough. It's tough. Um, I, I am not six foot nine, I am not six foot ten, or in the ability to defend any of those guys myself. Um but, I mean, you look at some history of, of Syracuse centers, you know, the Arinze Anuakus, the Rick Jacksons, um, these dude who are, dudes who are not seven-footers, right, but just built. Uh, I, I made the joke yesterday. Like, give me, give me the Syracuse center who is 6'10", maybe 6'11", but built like a defensive lineman. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what I was looking for. Um, but then you also get the opposite end. You know, you get you see Jesse Edwards, who was a seven-footer who developed excellent touch, had almost a mid-range game, but he was also built and he was strong and he could he could take that bruising down on the low block. Um, Pascal Chukwu was a was a very very skinny guy up until like his senior year. He just consistently saw him put on more and more muscle. By the time he was a senior, he was the guy kind of delivering the the pain. You know, and that's what I'm hoping. I'd love to see. What Naheem McLeod looks like this year, next year, two years from now, can he keep putting on muscle? Um, and as and, of right now, more left to be desired. But the ceiling for him personally is is absolutely there. And and McLeod, you know, he put according to the listing for Florida State to Syracuse uh, last year and this year, he apparently put on seventeen pounds and. Standing next to him, it it didn't go to his gut. So you know we'll see. You know I just think let's let's give him a taller guy, someone that isn't gonna slip by him as easily. Cause I haven't seen him get bodied. I've seen him got get slipped by, and I think that that's like inexcusable. But it's more excusable than you know being bodied by someone who's maybe a couple inches shorter than you. 
I haven't seen him get bodied. So I just want to see what he does against Tennessee in this first game. Um, but I'd, I've been high on him all year at, at ESPN Syracuse. I've been high on him, you know, from what I've seen in the preseason. Like, I think he'll work out. I think he just needs a couple more games to figure some things out. And like I said, I would love to see him go up against Zach Eady in that second game. If Syracuse loses, Purdue needs to lose. If Syracuse wins, Purdue needs to win. And Naheem McLeod versus Zach Eady, that's going to be the storyline. Seven foot four versus seven foot four. What can Naheem McLeod take from the former or the reigning best player in college basketball at the same size? What can he take from his game and apply to his own? It, it also leads to, to something I've realized. I think Munir Hima's injury may come back to bite Syracuse more than anticipated. If McLeod cannot handle the defensive roles required to defend seven-footers, I don't know if Malik Brown can. So does William Patterson come in? Well, next Who up. Who is next up next on that list? Next up is Peter Carey, according to Minutes. And Peter Carey, my one, I haven't seen enough of him, is my yeah. one complaint. He came in for eight minutes against, uh, I think, the College of St. Rose or Damon in the preseason. And he came in for eight minutes and fouled out. Like, it, it's it, undisciplined basketball. And that's my only complaint I've seen, is, is he fouls a lot. I haven't seen him enough on offense or on defense other than the fouls to make a decision or to make even an opinion on him. And based on his spot in the rotation, right, we can make the assumption that obviously, at least defensively or offensively, he's not at the level of the other guys that are playing ahead of him. But it's going to be really interesting once we step into ACC play what that defensive role looks like. Because that same question you're asking of how does mcleod look against seven footers playing power five basketball acc guys i'm also very interested to see what malik brown looks like trying to defend those guys because he didn't play at the five last year he played at the four and i thought he looked great at the four because i can tell you right now just off the top of my head malik brown against kyle filipowski uh with duke on january 2nd that's gonna be a tough matchup malik brown against armando baycott with north carolina that's a tough matchup. Yeah. If Naheem McLeod can show that he can bang with the big boys and, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm just hoping that he shows that my hypothesis is correct, that going up against wings is a lot harder than someone who is the same size as yeah. you. I'm hoping that that's correct because if it is, then I fully, I am fully confident in his ability to go 30 minutes against North Carolina and Duke Malik Brown. It's another look, but it's not what you can, it, you can't rely on that against those two teams well, we don't, or Norshad O'Meara with Miami. We don't think, but maybe he can, maybe he can. Maybe we'll he find can. out. We'll find out in Hawaii. We will, but so interesting. It Such is an interesting team. Man. It's yeah, oh. it is. It is such a good team. It's a, let's say it's a talented team. There's so much to like. We just need to see how it kind of, just need to see how it plays out. Yeah. I think this team in November is going to be a night and day different team come February, come March. I agree. 
um, especially with a first-year head coach. Because at, at the root of everything, and somehow this was like the a non-talking point. It, we mentioned it early. It's a first-year head coach replacing Jimothy Bayheim. <laughs> Not Jimothy. We know it's Jim. But. I think I think the reason that that goes so overlooked, especially around here, is the fact that Red's been around. Yeah, he's he's been here since 2011. He's been an assistant for a couple Final Four teams. He's been the assistant for Sweet 16 finishes, Elite Eight finishes. Like he's been around, and he's also played here. So like he's already a household name. I thought it was an an extraordinary move to keep it in house, um, especially for Syracuse basketball, where like the climate of this city is. It it is an extremely proud fan base. He knows how to navigate it already. That was the right move. Um, from what I've seen and from what I've heard, he has said all of the right things. I will say the one thing that I have heard uh, that Coach Autry said that I didn't necessarily agree with was a couple games ago, post-game press conference, he said that, you know, we might be missing shots, but they're the shots we want. Mm, I don't know about that. I think you can get better shots, but... Other than that one small bit of data, he seems like the right guy for the job. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's just like I'm nitpicking here it, by absolutely. saying that. Like absolutely. that's and being being a Syracuse media member, myself being a massive Syracuse fan, that's the expectation for us. <laughs> it is not Syracuse sports. If we do not nitpick every single possible aspect of every single game and every team. Gotta maintain my credibility somehow. Absolutely. Um it's it's a good gig, man. I think the the boys look good through through three games, and like I I feel like most of what we said has been overwhelmingly negative. They are three and zero. They are up with a, a win against a solidified NCAA tournament team. And and yeah, it's gonna be good. It's I think overwhelmingly it's gonna, it's gonna be a good season. It's gonna be the most enter. It's gonna be one of the more entertaining seasons that has happened here in Syracuse, New York in a very long time. And how fitting that we are passing the 44-minute mark as I love it. we are wrapping up. So that is this episode of 44 and more. Let us know. Let me know on Twitter what you think about this episode, what you think about what we talked about. Give me your thoughts at TJ O'Sullivan underscore uh, because our podcast Twitter, I mean, it Twitter shut that thing down shut in the it first week. Down. We I, I don't know why, but they shut it down. So thank you. Follow, follow me on Twitter at TJ O'Sullivan underscore. Let me know what you thought. And this is 44 more TJ O'Sullivan, DJ Moore. We'll see you next time.